This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. I'm Tom Young with the National Press Club's Broadcast Committee in Washington. In the 21st century, communications technology advances on an almost daily basis. The Internet and cable and satellite television provide more and more ways to transmit information. But one of the oldest electronic media, radio, remains one of the most powerful. A nonprofit organization called Developing Radio Partners works with developing countries to educate and inform over the airwaves. Chuck Rice is my old friend and colleague from the Broadcast Division of the Associated Press. Now Chuck works as president and CEO of Developing Radio Partners, and he joins us over the phone from his home in Asheville, North Carolina. Chuck, good to talk with you. Tom, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on your program. You're quite welcome. And uh, Chuck, first a question about technology. Why radio? Why not developing Internet partners or developing social media partners? <laughs> I'll tell you, Tom, it's the best way to reach people in Africa. Most of our work is in Africa. I would say all of our work right now is in Africa. And it really is the best way to, to get people because 70 to 80 percent of Africans tune in sometime during the day uh, to get news and information. And we work in really rural areas, sometimes remote areas, where poverty is a huge problem, and there's no Internet. Yet everybody seems to have a radio. Sometimes there's electricity issues, but people seem to have a solar-powered radio or one of those wind-up radios. So it's the best way to, to get in touch with people and communicate with them. Now, you mentioned uh, developing social media partners. We do work with uh, social media. In fact, social media, SMS, have really brought uh, radio into the 21st century. We work in uh, Malawi, for instance, on uh, reproductive health issues with uh, kids between the ages of 14 and 19. They do weekly radio programs that are around half an hour, but they also produce public service announcements. And they put these public service announcements on WhatsApp. WhatsApp's not so popular here in the United States, but it's extremely popular in Africa. And they put these public service announcements on WhatsApp. They have WhatsApp groups of up to 250 people. So even for the kids who don't listen to radio or don't have a radio, they might have a smartphone. More and more kids are getting smartphones in Africa. And so we are able to get our messages out through WhatsApp as well as Facebook. So social media is there. We, we use it to complement radio in a number of ways. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the specific places in Africa where Developing Radio Partners has worked? Sure. We have worked in Cape Verde. We've worked in Rwanda, Cameroon, and Zambia on projects relating to climate change, environmental issues. Right now, our big project is in Malawi, and as I mentioned, it's on reproductive health. The Ministry of Health has set up these youth-friendly health service centers all over the country. Malawi is a tiny country. It's not as big of a chore as if you were trying to put these youth-friendly health service centers in a place like Zambia or the Democratic Republic of Congo. 
But there's still remote areas where they have to set up mobile clinics where they come in with motorbikes with a sidecar and they bring in contraceptives, they bring in uh, HIV self-testing kits and so forth. And that is our big project right now, making kids understand that they have rights and that the, uh, the Ministry of Health needs to honor those rights and make sure that they have access to the things that they need so that uh, young girls can finish their education, for instance. Teen pregnancy is a big problem. And once a girl gets pregnant, she may wind up in a child marriage, and there goes her education. And she is dependent on her husband, who may decide one day that uh, he wants to marry someone else. So it's work that uh, is working with people in extreme poverty who really struggle to have livelihoods. Wow. Wow. Very good. So you mentioned reproductive health. What about uh, other types of programming that you try to promote? In Zambia and Rwanda, Cameroon and Cape Verde, we we had a a big project on climate change. We were working with uh, the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, the African Climate Policy Center. And what we were doing in those countries were introducing climate smart agriculture really basic thing, but people just weren't doing it. Rain harvesting, for instance. During the the rainy season, you harvest the water, you collect it, you keep it, and you are able to water your crops and have extra crops. In Cameroon, I met this lady up in uh, the mountains uh, around Mount Cameroon, uh, one of the highest peaks in Africa, and uh, her name was Ida, and uh, she had learned this on, on the radio. We, we were doing a program on rain harvesting, and we went back the next year, and she was getting two, sometimes three tomato crops a year. So she had tomatoes when others didn't, and she could charge a higher price for them. So it really helped her livelihood to be able to do rain harvesting. You mentioned how... These countries where you uh, operate are are often very poor countries, which to me raises a question of funding. I mean, even here in the U.S., good local programming can be expensive. That's why so many news talk stations air a lot of syndicated national shows instead of focusing on their own communities. So how do these stations operating in poor countries get funded? They depend on sponsorships and advertising. Let me just say that Developing Radio Partners grew out an idea by one of the founders of National Public Radio. His name is Bill Seemering. He lives in Philadelphia. And it's very grassroots, developing radio partners. We work at the very grassroots level, kind of taking our model from NPR. And what we do is we go into an area and we help enrich the radio programs that may already be on a radio station. For instance, in Zambia, outside Lusaka, the capital, There was this village where the radio station, it was already on the air. We don't put radio stations on the air. They're already there. We just enrich their programming. We helped them develop an agriculture program that the listeners eventually could not do without. So much so that when our project ended, the listeners continued to raise money to keep this program and keep that station on the air because they felt like it was just so critically important to helping them, all farmers, tuning into this program. And they were getting good tips. Even the extension officers would tune in and they would say, well, you need to do a program on this. This would help the farmers. 
Because a Gates Foundation study has found that when a farmer gets on the radio and talks to other farmers about something, they're much more likely to change their behavior. If they're not collecting rainwater at that moment, but they hear another farmer say, hey, I'm collecting rainwater, my tobacco crop, my tomato crop, I'm, I'm getting two crops rather than one, they're more likely to change. So that's kind of the philosophy we have developed. Enrich the programs and make them so valuable that the listeners, even if they're poor, will contribute something to keep the station going. Well, I think that's something that's uh, common to farmers all around the world. I grew up on a farm in North Carolina, and I can remember my father and grandfather listening to farm shows. That was very important to them. But talking about these stations in Africa, what's the staffing like there? How many people does it take to run it? And do these stations have trouble finding people with the know-how, the engineers and broadcasters, to keep it on the air? The engineering is, is done usually by somebody who lives in that district, or, or uh, it's like a state, and they, they will come in periodically and check on things. The staff, it can be anywhere from two or three people up to 10, 15 people. Right now, I'm working with a station in Juba, South Sudan. We're doing these early morning trainings, 6.30 in the morning. They have a new staff of about 12 to 13 people. In Malawi, some of the stations might have four or five people, a station manager, a deputy, a production manager. The people that we work with are youth reporters who were in school, and we did a competition and asked them, you know, if you could be on the radio and you could do a program on youth health, what would you want to do? And based on those essays, we turned those around and brought in the kids that were very interested in becoming journalists. We work with approximately 15 youth reporters in each station in Malawi. We work with a total of nine stations. And then we work with another 20 kids at each station who are part of these radio listening clubs, kind of informal focus groups. So it can vary widely from two or three people up to you know, dozens of people at a, at a radio station. I see. Uh, I see. And talking about this programming, I would imagine if a station in a developing country is, uh, say, advocating for clean water or better farmer income or promoting free elections, which is uh, something else that your website referred to, I can imagine those stations might offend local power brokers in some situations. Have your efforts run into any resistance? Surprisingly, Tom, no, and I'll tell you why. Again, we go back to this whole grassroots approach. When we go into an area, the first stop is the radio station to assess and see if they're playing music only and they're not doing any sort of public service programming. We kind of know that that station is not really interested in serving the public except for music. But since we work with community-based stations, almost all of those stations are doing some sort of health program or a farming program. The second stop we make are to these power brokers, the community leaders, the religious leaders at the mosques or the Christian churches. And we ask them, how can we help you? We have a project on public health. What can we do to, you know, help your community? And they're very supportive. We went to a place, it's called Inkata Bay. It's along the, the lakefront in, in Malawi. And we were going to set up at a radio station there. And we, the district health officer came over to meet with us. 
And he said, you know, you can work at this station, but it's in a, I don't want to say a metropolitan area, but it's a large town where you could really do some good is in a little town called Eusicia. It's isolated, very difficult to get to during the rainy season. It's just a mud track. And, you know, there's 3,000 people there, and they really need programs to help youth avoid teen pregnancy. And if you could, if you could work there, that would be fantastic. So what we did was we wound up working in the, the larger town and also in the, uh, the smaller little town called Eusicia. So we, we try to work and accommodate the local power brokers or the district health officers or whoever just to make sure that we're doing something to help those communities. That's where we're different. We're very, very grassroots. Well, it sounds like you are definitely uh, helping these stations present beneficial, useful programming. But once a station gets up and running with that kind of good programming, it it occurs to me that that's just half the battle, and now you need an audience. Uh, Do you find it challenging to get people to listen? Not really, and I'll tell you why. Oftentimes, this radio station is really the only source of news and information that community might have. I, again, take Eusicia. That's the only thing people have to listen to there is, is the radio. The Internet is very iffy. So, I mean, it's very difficult to, to use the Internet in a place like that. It's very slow. It's not really uh, challenging at all to, uh, to get people to listen. The people who work at the station live in the community. Everybody's local. And everybody, you know, knows somebody who works at the station. And everybody tunes in. And it's the type of station where if a lady loses her goats, she might come over to the radio station and and give them a piece of paper and say, hey, can you make the announcement? My goats have disappeared. Has anybody seen them? And she'll likely find her goats. We've actually had things like that happen. (laughs) Uh, Goats and sheep and uh, sometimes cattle. (laughs) Well, I can see why they uh, support the station then. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's their lifeline sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, so we've talked about how you build beneficial programming, and it sounds like building an audience is no trouble. That's pretty organic. So let's move the ball forward a few yards. Once you do all that, uh, have you been able to measure the impact of the efforts? Uh, for example, if you broadcast information on disease prevention or reproductive health, how do you know the message got through? Yeah, that's a, that's a really important question, and it's something every donor wants to know about. How are you going to measure success? And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's difficult to do through radio, but we do it. We do the best we can. And I'll, I'll give you some examples. Let me step back to March of this year when COVID-19 started hitting Malawi. They closed down the schools, and there were, you know, kids had a lot of idle time. What happened? Well, we saw a large increase in child pregnancies and child marriages. Parents weren't able to get their crops to the market, so they would sell, no, I say sell, girls are seen as products in some situations and uh, commodities. So they may give the girl to someone uh, in exchange for money or goats or, or something like that in order to get some money. So what we have been doing is meeting with the traditional authority in each of these districts. Each district has one or two, sometimes three traditional authorities. That's the the main chief. And then under him are these village heads. 
And we went into this one area and did a story. It's called Machinji near the Zambian border. And, and our station there is Mutsiwatu Radio. And we told the traditional authority, there's a high number of child marriages going on in your area. Why aren't you doing anything? He met, and we have a photograph of him sitting under a tree with all his village heads, men and women, all wearing masks, sitting under these trees, and he's basically reading them the riot act, saying, <laughs> you know, what's going on? <laughs> Good. Yeah, and, you know, if you continue to do this, uh, we're going to have serious problems. He understood that if you're going to have a strong economy, you've got to have good education. And if these girls are dropping out of school, then, you know, they become, you know, dependent. So what happened was these village heads started enforcing the local laws, basically finding these parents $53 and two goats if they married off their daughters. And they dissolved dozens of marriages after that radio program. Wow. Now, did that radio program do that? We would like to hope so. But, I mean, it's difficult to measure. But I want to think that because of that program and the traditional authority reading the riot act to these village heads after he was on the radio program and the, the radio program, the youth reporters were holding him to account for this, that it made a difference. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. What are some of your upcoming projects with developing radio partners? Well, we've got a project, and I, I want to say COVID-19 is a real challenge for everybody, including us. We've got a project in Burkina Faso that's uh, slow to get off the ground. I was supposed to have gone there in August to basically assess the radio station, assess the, the villages, make sure it would be a good fit. Uh, we were working on COVID-19 uh, prevention measures and also peace building. Boko Haram is not in this central district of Burkina Faso, but it's nearby. And what we're trying to do is build a strong dialogue within the community. That project has gotten off to a slow start, but we'll get there. We'll get there. The other project that we're renewing next year is in Malawi on uh, reproductive uh, health rights for young people. So we'll be there for another year. We're also looking right now at doing a health project in Ethiopia. It's not a civil war yet, but uh, I don't know how the fighting there is going to affect that project. But it's in the talking stages at this point. And, of course, South Sudan, I've got some work there with uh, this uh, big radio station called iRadio, working with them, just doing pure journalism, trying to get them away from just covering the government and covering real social issues that affect a lot of people. A while ago, you said something about uh, donors for developing radio partners. If someone listening to us uh, right now wants to help out with your projects, what can they do? Because of COVID-19, we are facing some challenges. And one of those is the fact that we need more bandwidth to work virtually in, in some of these places like Burkina Faso where there is almost no internet in these villages. So we would love to be able to fund some sort of infrastructure to get uh, stronger bandwidth there, but also solar panels. And that's the first thing we need because there's no electricity. We run the internet, the routers, and also to run the, uh, the desktop computers. If anybody would want to contribute, the best place to go is www.developingradio.com. 
www.donate.org and just click on the donate button. We're also running a GoFundMe campaign right now trying to raise $6,000. And uh, that uh, address will also take you to the big red button that says the GoFundMe project. So please, I invite everybody to take a look. Well, good luck with all your projects, Chuck, and many thanks for your time. Thank you, Tom, for taking the time to hear more about Developing Radio Partners. I really appreciate it. We've been talking with the president and CEO of Developing Radio Partners, Chuck Rice. I'm Tom Young, reporting for Update One from the National Press Club in Washington. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One.